I mean, I really do think that he believes from get that he is doing the right thing and that this is going to be transformational for his congregation. And and in the writing, you know, it's it's what Lucas does so well. Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen, and here is where Jackson would normally say, I'm Jackson Nikolai. But today, if you've been following along in our themed month, you know that this is our special guest episode. It's very exciting. We get to do kind of two things at once in this episode. We're currently in the middle of a four-week themed month. That's something that we do every season on No Script. We spend four episodes talking about plays that have something in common or, or that are somehow paired together. And in this case, our themed month is a series of conversations about scripts we've already talked about on the podcast. Now, these are sort of short follow-up conversations that we're having with some sort of new perspective, some sort of new entrance into the conversation. It's been really great so far. This is the third of four weeks. Encourage you to go check out those other episodes. If you haven't listened to them yet, we've talked so far about Dinner with Friends by Donald Mark. And Men on Boats by Jacqueline Bacchus. But today is a special episode of a special month because this is also our special guest episode. You know that every season we invite a special guest onto the podcast to talk with either Jackson or I about a play to get a new voice, a new perspective into the conversation. And that seemed to fit right in with what we wanted to do with this themed month. So the conversation you're about to hear is a conversation that I had with Michael Legg. I'll let Michael do the introduction when we get there. But just so you know that that's a conversation you're about to listen to, as usual with our special guest episodes, the audio quality is somewhat different than you'll hear in our other episodes. So a warning about that on the front end. Michael and I talked about The Christians by Lucas Nath, one of my all-time favorite plays. It was a really great conversation. I can't wait for you all to hear it and to really dive into the really... I mean, it's just remarkably insightful stuff that we learned about the play, about its development from Michael in the course of the conversation. That's coming up shortly. That's right ahead. But before we get there, I do want to ask everybody to consider heading on over to patreon.com slash podcast. Again, patreon.com slash podcast. That's where you can become a supporter of the show. There's a lot of different tiers. The tiers go, you know, up in price and down in price. The lowest is a dollar a month. We think that's really affordable. That's where we really encourage everybody to consider becoming a supporter. The truth is that without our supporters, we could not do what we are doing here on No Script. It it costs money to run a podcast alongside a fairly significant time investment, and it just wouldn't be possible for Jackson and I to do without those supporters. So if that's you, if you're a supporter on Patreon, big thanks to you. You make doing this possible. If it's not you yet, just think about it. That dollar a month level is, I think, accessible for virtually everybody. So just something for you to think about. Please consider it. Patreon.com slash no script podcast. All right. Now I'm going to turn you over to the version of myself that had this conversation, you know, in the recent past. And uh, I will see you on the other side of what I'm sure will be a great conversation for you all to listen to with Michael Legg.
Jacob, how's it going? Welcome. Thanks. Good. I'm glad to be here. It's, glad to be here, it, too. This is the normal time of the morning that I record, actually. So the, the depth of my voice, which is much deeper <laughs> earlier in the morning, is going to be consistent. Love that. Rather than uh, getting much higher later in the day. <laughs> Michael is one of the professors here at the University of Montana, where I'm a graduate student, but also brings a really cool wealth of professional experience that I'll let him share with you what he'd like to. But some of that is what is going to inform our conversation today about uh, one of my favorite plays, The Christians by Lucas Nath. Yeah. Hi, Jacob. So I, um, for the past five years, well, I guess this is my fifth season here in Montana, but I am also the artistic director of Montana Repertory Theater, which is the professional equity house in residence here at the university. And before that, I was uh, working for 11 years at Actors Theater of Louisville. So I happened to be there when The Christians was commissioned and rehearsed and first performed. Yeah, and, and some of the listeners who've, who've been around for a lot of our episodes know that we've covered several plays that have come out of the Humana Festival at the Actors Theater of Louisville. Rest in peace. Yes, very sad, <laughs> because I am one of those people that like owns all the Humana Festival anthologies, and they have a nice place just for themselves on my shelf, including a play that I know we're not talking about today, but I know both of us love, which is The Roommate by Jen Absolutely. Silverman. Absolutely, yep. I saw the Steppenwolf production of The Roommate, which oh, nice. just blew me away when I was in Chicago one time. Uh, but that is not what we're here to talk today about. We're here to talk about The Christians, which was at the Humana Festival in 2014. Now, for our listeners of Theme Month, we're not doing our usual context or synopsis. Usually we spend 15 minutes describing what the play's about and also where it was developed and who's been in it and stuff like that. But we're not doing that for these short conversations just to maximize our time. So if you're interested in learning more about that, go check out the original episode of The Christians, which is linked in the episode documents, and you can hear all about how we've described the plot and the context. But this piece of context is important because you were around with the Humana Festival when the play was com- commissioned by the Humana Festival. Yeah, right? I mean, the the, the history of, of Lucas and Actors Theater and the Humana Festival actually dates back to, I, I would say, 2008, 2009, because at Actors, we used to do, this is another thing that doesn't exist anymore, but we used to do a national 10-minute play uh, 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 it wasn't a competition. I'm not sure quite what to call it. It was an open submission. And so anybody in the country could send in a 10-minute play for us to consider. Those were all read. And then I would produce uh, uh, an, uh, a, a fully produced uh, uh, set of those plays. We would produce like eight or 10 of them. Uh, and as it so happens, Lucas Nath uh, just sent in on his own a delightful play called The Courtship of Anna Nicole Smith, which is to this day one of my favorite 10-minute plays that I read of the hundreds and hundreds that I read when I was there. And it's a play that I worked on yeah. in a class that you were teaching uh, with some undergraduate students. <laughs> yeah, it's a fantastic little play. Um, and as it also so happens, Sarah Lunny was working at Actors Theater at the time. Sarah went on to, to work at Playwrights Horizons and is now at the Public Theater, and she and Lucas, because of this 10-minute play, developed a working relationship that, that continues to this day. She has dramaturged pretty much all of his major productions. So uh, there's this 10-minute play, and we read it, and we love it, and we produce it, and Lucas comes in, and this is when I met him for the first time. And then Sarah continued this relationship 
Egypt. And, and through Sarah, um, Lucas sent in a play called Death Tax, which was a full-length play that he wrote that we produced in Humana. It probably would have been around 2000. 12-ish. I'm not, I, I don't remember exactly. But it, as it happens, also a series of happenstances, um, the artistic director at the time, Mark Masterson, was leaving. Les Waters had just gotten hired as the artistic director for Actors Theater. He saw Death Tax and said, I, I'm obsessed with this writer. Uh, we need to commission something from him. And that commission was the Christian. And it, it's so fantastic. Can you, can you talk about what the Humana Festival does for plays that are commissioned for those that don't know out there? Because, they, I mean, while it existed, it was just an incredible sort of wellspring of some just fantastic plays. Oh, my gosh, yeah. We, we would produce seven, eight, nine different plays every season uh, for a while. Um, so, and those, it's, just, it's a combination of things, right? It's a combination of plays that were submitted from agents. Sometimes it's plays that somebody on the artistic staff would bring to the table. Uh, Mar Nelson Greenberg's Do You Feel Anger is a play Sarah and I worked on at a new play development thing in Texas, and we brought that to the table uh, and it ended up in Humana. Sometimes, uh, usually one a year, one, one a year, one every other year, the plays would be commissioned. And for those, what was really cool about it is what actors would say to the playwright is, we want you to write a play and we are planning on, in some cases, producing <laughs> it in, hum in Humana. So Lucas knew when the commission happened that that this was the goal, is to put it in Humana. And it's just, a, it was a fantastic, I can't, I can't even describe, having been through 11 festivals, uh, just the sheer number of playwrights who were there and, and actors and professionals and just getting to hang out with all those folks for, you know, basically three months that it took to rehearse and produce all of these plays. And then they ran and rep for several weekends. And it, it was a fantastic but experience. The names uh, just of the playwrights alone that are in the anthologies that I own will blow you away. And then you realize that some of the titles are like, oh, this was one of my favorite plays of the last five years by Sarah Rule. And, yeah. and oh, it was developed as part of the Humana Festival. Yeah. And what's really cool about being there at the time, especially with somebody like Lucas, is usually these are happening in the very early stages of these playwrights' careers. And so you're getting to know them before they write all the other things that you're going to fall in love with over the years as well. Although I think the Christians will hang on for Lucas Nath. It's my perception oh, yeah. of the play. I think so too. This, yeah. is, this might be one of the plays that he – I mean, he's done some other incredible stuff. Doll's House Part Two uh, will we'll go on just because of the name recognition. But the Christians is just it, – it's, it's something that is so uniquely special uh, that, that it, it, it has a totally – unique voice, something about the way the theatricality is imagined of the microphones and the staging, about the content. I, I don't know, but it, it feels like something that we're going to know about in 30 years. I hope so. I think so. You know, the, uh, there's so many things about it that I love. Uh, the things you mentioned, the use of the microphones, which I'm sure we can talk about. Just Lucas's his 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 voice, I think, is really unique. This, the speed and the cadence and the rhythm of it is something that I, I, I think is 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 pretty great. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah. Well, so so the when a play is commissioned by the or when a play was commissioned by the Humana Festival, what is there? Are there a series of workshops that lead up to the full production? Yeah, it is depends. There... I mean, you know, sometimes you know, I know that they, they like to do workshops. Uh, Les was a big fan of taking things out to Steamboat Springs in Colorado over the summer. There's a really great developmental program there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, as I said, uh, plays would get workshopped 
by friends of the theater or by somebody on staff, and and those would come to the table having already had a workshop. But the idea was that when at all possible, every play coming into the festival would get at least a week somewhere. That that because these were all brand new scripts, <laughs> right? And so everybody felt that it was really important that we just sat around a table for a while, and 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 it's really for the playwright, right? We're all there in service to the play and to the playwright. So let's give you some time and some space and some really great actors, some of which would would move on into the final production and some of whom wouldn't depending on availability but let's give you all the resources you need to hear this play out loud to think about it to talk about it to work with the director that you're probably going to work with in the festival so that you have all the information that you need to go and make whatever changes you want to make to bring it in and not that there were there were also changes happening all the time of course during rehearsal but just to give it one solid crack before we brought it in and said, okay, we open in four weeks. Hmm. So what do you remember about the time that the Christians was with Actors Theater of Louisville? Are interesting stories or tidbits that you're willing to share? Well, you know, it's just what was lovely about actors is that they had an open rehearsal pro- uh, policy, right? And so anybody could come in and watch any of the rehearsals at any time. It was a spectacular gift, not only for the staff, but for the other visiting actors in the other shows, but also for the professional training company, which I ran when it was there. Like the opportunity to come in whenever you had a moment to watch Les and Lucas work. I mean, you, you'd just be silly not to take advantage of it. Yeah, that. really. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, mostly what I remember is just being in that room and seeing, this was the first play that they worked on together, the first of several collaborations all the way up to Dana H., which was just in New York. And and just to watch the two of them develop their sort of shorthand and their working mm-hmm. relationship was really really fascinating. It was just a it was just such a good cast too, mm-hmm. like those folks. And to watch them, you know, because Les and Lucas both insisted on working with the microphones from the beginning. So from from first rehearsal, the mics were in the room, the sound designer was in the room, and they were figuring out how to navigate even just the chords, <laughs> like how to not step on and trip and kill yourself, but also just um, how to hold them, how to use them, just getting used to the conceit, which I think makes the play. Yeah, well, I think you you, you just have to have something in your hand and, and getting used to the way that a microphone amplifies your voice in a yeah. big room too is just weird. I mean, when you have a, a mic tech for actors in just a regular show where they just have regular amplifying mics, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a step. It is, and, the, that sound. And, there, and there's so many different circumstances, right, inside this play. There are moments that are supposed to be public on the mic, right, These mm-hmm. the sermons that, 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 that are given, but, but also how to modulate so that those private conversations, right, mm-hmm. between the pastor and his wife, between the pastor and the associate pastor, which was one of the best scenes of the play, yes. uh, is just to, to watch the actors figure out how to modulate those moments and and to navigate this idea of public simultaneous public and private mm-hmm. which i think is 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 you know somebody who is is not a religious person but grew up in the church in you know Southern Baptist Church of God, Episcopal, you name it, I've done mm-hmm. it. There is something about the ritual of that and and the use of the mic and, and something that happens in your brain when you see a very private moment broadcast so publicly, uh, which is, it's unexpectedly moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the microphones sort of highlight that, not just visually, but 
you know, a microphone picks up, especially if it's not up to your lips, the sound of it hitting your legs, oh, sure. the sound yeah. of your chair scraping. Yeah. I mean, it feels like there's almost a sound design that's possible of just all the sounds that a microphone might pick up besides the human voice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's why it's, it's you know, one of the great things, again, there were so many about being at Actors and watching how they worked was uh, uh, they used to have resident designers, but but even when they didn't have resident designers, the sound designer, whenever possible, was present in the room for the entire rehearsal process. Mm. And so to have that person there who is not only sort of, you know, doing all the technical stuff about making these microphones work, but talking about the quality of that sound with the actors and talking about the ambient noise and how it might work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was, I can't imagine just I can't imagine waiting to do that until tech. There's just too much to discover and learn. Yeah, and you talked about, too, the cords. I've seen pictures of productions where they use cordless mics, which I'm sure is fine in its own way for certain things. But there is something about the negotiation of this thing that follows you around yes, that yeah. has real limitations, yeah. too. I mean, it's not... You can't have a thousand feet of cord for every microphone. Yeah, or, or you do. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like, I feel like I was thinking about that as, as I was walking over here this morning. I was thinking about the microphones in particular and thinking about how if I did this show here, which I might one day, because I love it too, is there's no way I would use a wireless mic. No yeah. way. And and I, I, I was trying to think. I was like, I remember those cords being long, but I don't remember... Like where they let off to, mm-hmm. <laughs> they weren't plugged on in on stage. I don't think, but but yeah, it's just it's just so much of the rehearsal process was learning how to, you know, keep one hand on that cord sometimes and clear it out of your way and step. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you remember, I I also spent a lot of time watching uh, uh, religious broadcasts, right, and just remembering, especially with in the eighties, eighty late eighties and early nineties, watching those folks navigate those microphone cords. It's a skill. And it's really fascinating to watch. Mm-hmm. And the, the the moment of taking a mic off and on of a mic stand too. I mean, yep. stand-up comics have known this for years and actually has to have pastors, as you, as you <laughs> described. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's something that is, the there's a powerful moment on its own of a mic on a mic stand, leaving it, that that signals some sort of intention. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't remember if the pictures are from the, the Actors Theater of Louisville production or the Playwrights Horizon production, but in some of those private public scenes, I have seen pictures where there are these sort of boom mic stands mm, that yeah. sort of can intrude in and yeah. free up the actor's hands, totally. but then have a total interesting stage picture kind of uh, uh, intrusion. Yeah, it could have been from either because I believe that mostly that set and almost the entire cast transferred from actors mm. to playwrights. So. Um, but yeah, there, there's that. And then there's also like the, there are a couple of moments. Uh, there's one in particular that I remember, but I think there might be two where somebody says something without the mic mm. a- and, and those moments after you have spent the entire time hearing amplified everything from the sermons to the most private conversations, uh, ha- hearing somebody say something off the mic has such an incredible power that you're just not expecting that that silence to hear is it was you know it's a moment it was a moment when the pastor says something I think it might be the moment when the associate pastor is leaving I'm not I'm not I, I can't remember exactly but there was something about he drops the mic and he says something oh it might be to the congregant mm. after that incredible little little speech about right. a kid uh, where he says something off mic and he feels and seems and sounds so weak mm-hmm. 
right, so powerless in that moment that mm-hmm. it really, really enhanced that moment of vulnerability for him and his own. It's almost like everything that happened off mic was doubt. Yeah. And it was really fascinating mm-hmm. to see. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, that's a fascinating thing about the metaphor of the mic as being like a metaphor of certainty in yeah. a play about oh, yeah. sort of feigning certainty. And yeah. And you learn kind of throughout the play that he, the pastor character, uh, you know, fronts so much, uh, 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 so much certainty. I'll just keep using the same word, I guess. Fronts so much certainty, and then he gets in these private, public moments, and you see that that a lot of that was an act. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or you know, not an. I think he, I think he sincerely believes it in that moment. It's just what we watch over the course of the play is is doubt coming in Mm. and what doubt does as it sort of creeps into that kind of certainty. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really do think that he believes from get that he is doing the right thing and that this is going to be transformational for his congregation. And, and in the writing, you know, it's, it's what Lucas does so well, I think is in this play is that, uh, um, there is, there is a, there is a line that he rides where, you know, I don't, I don't think that anything in this play is, is, Offensive is not the right word for for anybody who is a believer or not a believer. No, I feel the same way. It's a I mean, really it's sort of church environment, and I've always felt I, I, some church people would be um, because the play has theological implications. Sort of there, there would be some folks that would say I don't agree with the theological implications, and thus the play is offensive. But I think the vast majority of of, of faith folks. Uh, it's 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 not offensive to them, even yeah, though it's no, a depiction I, of the yeah. inner stuff. I might even I might even push back and say that even that small number of folks might not find it offensive because I think Lucas does a really good job of presenting both sides of that argument in a way that you're like, oh, this is a fascinating question actually, and he's really addressing both sides of that issue in a, in a way that whichever side you believe in or agree with, or even if you don't agree with either of them, I think you walk out appreciating like the level of discourse, which we certainly don't have yeah. today. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how well they argue. Actually, yeah. yeah. And how uh, compassionate in the arguing that they can be. Yeah. I, we just talked about a couple of weeks ago, Uncle Vanya, uh, which is a play I just, I mean, I read before, but some, something about coming back to it for the podcast, I was just like blown away by by so much of it again. And one of the things that's so amazing about what Chekhov does is this, just the wells of empathy he has for all of the characters in yeah. his play. Yeah. And I, I feel that about Lucas too. Absolutely. That, that they're, I mean, obviously there's no bad guys or anything, but they're, they're, he also really seems to genuinely want each of his characters to put their best foots forward in the, in moments where they should, yeah. even in other moments where they put their worst foot forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he just does it with such an economy of language too. Mm, yeah. Like that's one of the things I really appreciate about this play is not only the pace and the speed of it, but just the economy of language. Uh, um, everybody gets the point across with as few words as probably necessary. Mm-hmm. But you're right, with an incredible degree of empathy. The the moment at the end of the play where the associate pastor describes why it's hard to believe in hell is sort of the, the subject of the conversation. And there's just incredible monologue about his mother. Yeah. Oh, is yeah. just so moving. Yeah. I mean, and Larry, Larry Powell, cool. who is just an incredible actor who played the associate pastor in our production and then in playwrights, and he may have done it one other place, um, just to watch him work on that 
that piece. And Les is just such an interesting director because he's not a let's stop and talk about every moment. He's very much about giving the actor a full run at this chunk of text and then mm-hmm. saying one thing. <laughs> <laughs> and and then and then you just watch the transformation, you know, he, especially when you see him with um, with some really good professional actors, just he gives them just enough to let them fly. He's just an incredible director and a, mm-hmm. and a good human. Lucas talks about in the prologue of the play that he, when he was in middle school, his mother attended seminary, and he had sort of grown up with this idea of becoming a pastor. And so he brings so much specificity and you feel like there is a, a person and a person's experiences behind the door of this play that also that has so much else going for it. But there is something about the specificity, which is just magnetic, that it really feels like it captures. Um, it's a very specific kind of church that is presented in the play. And not all church-going people would recognize their church. But yeah. there's something about the culture that he he captures just from having lived it. Yeah, I think the, the culture feels universal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, yes, there is something when you walk into that space and you see the big, you know, the the the, the enormity of the set and 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 all of the members of the choir and just the the size of it that does feel very 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 mega churchy. But there is there is something about how he personalizes right each of the characters relationship to god and and their individual idea of god that actually feels pretty universal especially you, you mentioned that that um, the speech that the associate pastor gives about his mom and and there is there's i, I it's just so recognizable yeah. and relatable because mm-hmm. it is about it's about a, it's, a, it's about a relationship we all have, right? Mm-hmm. A relationship between us and our parents, and 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 the fear and the idea that one day they will die, and and what happens. I mean, it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. The the facade might be pretty specific, but I think what's underneath it is pretty universal. Yeah, we we talked about the um, Joshua Harmon play Admissions a couple of weeks ago, and it, it there's there's a lot in that play about the conflict of when you believe something and then that belief comes home to affect you personally, like what's going to happen next when those two things come into conflict. And this play has some of that in it too. And the associate pastor, uh, you know, maintains a, a very consistent. Um, uh, he he maintains that belief very consistently, despite how painful it is. And I think it's yeah. the pain yeah. that is recognizable, uh, which is sad. But but also part of what happens in drama is that there the the joy of human life is captured to some degree. But also there's there's those moments that just make your heart hurt because you recognize the pain of holding something that you you don't want to believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, Larry was incredible just to watch him, f- f- you know, figure that out in a rehearsal and then to see it. Perf- and I saw it. It's one of the great things about actually working there is, you, you know, you come in to visit, you get to see a show once. I saw The Christians mm-hmm. five times. Oh, <laughs> because, <Dang. laughs> and, and And to watch him navigate that speech so consistently, but so in the moment every night was really beautiful. Hmm. Well, so one of the things that we've, I think, recently discovered about each other is that we share this kind of uh, 
affinity for wanting to take kind of old stories, uh, old story forms and kind of discover new contemporary uh, uh, expressions of them, relevancy for them. And Lucas Nath has talked about it, and it was one of the things that really blew my mind open about this play, how much the play, the play structure, the environment is based on a Greek tragedy. He Specifically, he mentions Antigone, but I actually think it is more general than that. Sure, yeah. To some of the conventions of Greek tragedy, like even as simple as the Greek tragic plays have two people in a scene together yeah. in a public private environment. Yeah. And it's just magical to see that one of the oldest things that we have in drama totally uh totally effective. Yeah. You know, as long as there's a there's a relevancy to the content of the discussion. Yeah, oh absolutely. And and there's just the proclamations that happen, right? So much of this is these big long speeches that are just given out to the audience and even even the choir's chorus. Right, exactly. <laughs> and the sort of <laughs> yeah. the ceremony poem that the chorus would do in these Greek tragedies that yeah. to us nowadays feel a little we don't know 90% of what they're saying, but I get that it's a ceremony somehow that's going on. And they take it and they say, well, what's a contemporary expression of these religious poetic things? Well, church hymns. Absolutely. Well, it's the ritual, right? I mean, it, it, listen, it's it's the reason that that as I was struggling with a lot of things, I was still going to church sure. because there was something about the ritual of it. Mm. That was really comforting and mm-hmm. interesting in its own kind of theater, right? I, you know, especially when I, when I went for a long time to an Episcopal church, there was something about the here we stand and here we kneel and we say the same things and we say them together and, and here's the, the lesson of the day that just felt there, there's comfort in ritual, mm. right? And if you, if you look at Greek theater and the ritual of it and you look at this play and the ritual of it, I mean... Uh, 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 of course, a play that takes place in a church and that is largely uh, 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 a church ceremony, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's ritual. It makes total sense. And in, in, in Antigone, which is the play he references specifically, uh, the, the character of Creon, who would be the pastor character in this play, has a fairly unsympathetic point of view that he takes and holds throughout the play and it sort of makes him the the grand villain of the piece even as he's the protagonist that you know you shouldn't bury these this brother because he happened to be i mean it's it's unsympathetic really to us today sure. although i don't know how it would have been perceived in context but yeah, yeah, yeah. the pastor in this play has what i think is a very sympathetic point of view even if you don't agree with it it'd be nice to believe yeah that yeah. And it, it's an interesting change. It's, but I, So I wonder, even as the sympathy towards the specific position main, uh, uh, changes, you know, the core of those Greek dramas is this deep pride, the hubris that they're sort of leveled by the gods and the community. <laughs> yeah. So I'm interested in the expression of hubris and the pastor. I mean, the, the wife talks about him believing in his own magnificence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And you're right. It's... it's, a, it's um, it is such a, a a sympathetic take, right? Is that as we watch him fall, as we watch his circumstances sort of crumble around him, there is just a deep sense of, oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> it didn't have to be that way. You know, it didn't have to be that way. But good for you for standing up for what you believe, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And it, I, I think, too, the ability... To see in in someone who's who you who you would be inclined to be sympathetic towards because of what he's proclaiming, there are still 
things that make you uncomfortable. I mean, the, the first conversation with the, the wife character where she says, you didn't go over any of this with me. Yeah. You didn't check in. You're going to change everything. And now you want me to just go out and echo your words. And yeah. that's not how this works. Yeah. 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 And the fact that he just assumed from the beginning that that's exactly like, yeah, it's like he, he, he really, fi- and this is uh, watching, watching Andrew, who is the actor who played the pastor in, in this production, just, you know, what the, the great thing about what he was doing with it was this just f- complete and total belief that, that once he explained his position, mm-hmm. right. Cause it made so much sense to him mm-hmm. that every single person would just say, Oh my gosh, why did I not think about this? You are incredibly correct. And, and incredibly smart for yeah, getting it. Oh my gosh. And watching, watching him, believe that so fully, but watch it get stripped away, mm-hmm. not entirely at once, but one little bit at a time as the wife says these things and leaves and the associate pastor leaves. And then the conversation he has with, uh, um, oh, what's the term? The, uh, the deacon, the elder yeah. of mm-hmm. the church, that conversation to watch him in the moment say, this is, wait, what is happening? Mm-hmm. How is it that you don't see right. this, this incredible like revelation that was given to me, this great gift that was given to me and a gift at, through sacrifice, right? The story mm-hmm. he tells about the kid mm-hmm. is just heartbreaking. And you're like, of course, of course, right? I think as an audience, you, you, you jump right in and agree with him too. And I think course, that's yes. part of the, 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 the beauty in the writing, but also in Andrew's performance is that we're right there with you. This sound, and I don't know, I don't know the difference between maybe a secular audience and a more religious audience, mm-hmm. but my experience of it was, yes, that's the, ver- if that's the version of Christianity that existed, maybe I would have stayed on board mm-hmm. for longer. <laughs> sure. Right. <laughs> right? right. <laughs> and so I want you to win. Yeah. And then to be like, oh, Oh no, oh no, oh no. By the time you get to the end of the play, well, it's really heartbreaking. And the end of the play is the line the pastor speaking to the wife don't worry about trying to figure it out now. It will make more sense later, which is almost a direct quote of what he said to the congregant. Yeah. Just believe me. Yeah. Just trust me. Um, and, and I wonder about. If, as he comes to the end of the play, is that now couched in a sort of desperation that that would be true? Is mm. there still a belief that if you stick with me, I will convince you in the end? Yeah. Or is it even like you when when your time on earth is over, that's maybe finally when you'll see you'll, you'll get right. it. You'll get it in the end. <laughs> yeah. It was just such an incredible ending too because it just – the play, it doesn't wrap itself up in a bow. Like it doesn't have a, a – it just it, it ends on this like mm. on this cliff, which well, is so. Really there's beautiful. a the, it, one of the features of the script is that characters will have lines assigned that are just an ellipse, so there's no words attached, but there's some sort of moment that is supposed to be there that is unspoken. Yeah. There's not a lot of given to you about what that is necessarily. So I'm curious, having seen the production, what what the wife has a final line that is an ellipse. Yeah. What do you think that is? Like it was what's just, the final line of I don't the play? I don't know. I mean what it what it was in my recollection, what was so brilliant about it, it was it was just this it was this you know, they, they speak earlier about connecting, right? He tells the story about the, the two of them on the airplane and the distance between you and me. And all I remember is just this 
this this huge i mean especially compared to how how the play clips the rest mm-hmm. of the play just clips that moment at the end was such a moment of silence mm. where what you see between the two of them is that 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 possibility of connection is actually probably absolutely gone and it was just heartbreaking. And then the lights go out, and you're like, "No!" <laughs> and it's it's That's, a it's a tragic ending. I mean, it's, it's like a, a Greek oh, a tragic ending. I mean, he doesn't poke his own eyes out, but certainly <laughs> the world has crumbled. Yeah, absolutely, it has. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it has. Yeah. Cool. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on and being willing to chat about yeah. your experience with the Christians. No, and this was fun. It's uh, just so good. Yeah. <laughs> I was just reading it last night, and, and, and my wife, Brienne, was walking around doing stuff, and she just heard me say about 10 times, gosh, this place is so good. It's really <laughs> every, good. Every moment that you come upon, you're like, that's, that's such a good moment. Yeah. That could be the best moment of the play, and there's nine more coming. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, everybody, that was my conversation with Michael Legg about The Christians by Lucas Nath. Hope that you enjoyed it. I sure had a great time. Uh, We'll say thank you again to Michael for joining us for that episode. It was really valuable, a great way to spend our special guest episode, and and cool to pair a special guest episode as part of this themed month. Hey, we release episodes every Monday, and the conversation doesn't have to end when those episodes come out. We encourage you you to chat with us on our social medias uh, at our Gmail. Our social media handles are all no script podcast, and our Gmail is no script podcast at gmail.com. We've had some really fascinating conversations by email recently, so shoot us an email if you've got a thought or leave a comment on our social media profiles. If you like this episode or any of our other episodes, you can recommend us to your family and friends. That would be a huge help. They can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, Podbean. You can also like us on Facebook, and every Monday, a link to the new episode will appear on our feed, and you can click and play from there. We've got one more episode in our themed month coming up. That will be next week, and Jackson will be back for that conversation. We're looking forward to it. Until then, I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script, the podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.